0: RJ officially makes his last call of his career, Bison's baseball is back in Buffalo, and we're going to come at you with some draft, draft, and more draft, along with some hot takes trivia and more. This is the Buffalonian Podcast. All right, let's go. Welcome to the Buffalonian Podcast. I'm Joe Kelly, and as always I'm joined by Dominic Loss and Mike Marino and uh, we're coming at you with some Sabres news right away. RJ's last call officially of his career. It's a sad, sad time to be a, you know, a Buffalo Sabres fan. He's, he's been the constant of that team through all this turnover through the years. I mean, I don't know how to feel about it. How do you, how do you feel?
1: Uh, I feel like it's a very sad day, but it was a tremendous night for the Buffalo Sabres organization. All After their... that 5 nothing loss to the Bruins, they needed something, and I think that was it. Well, all their pregame stuff was just fantastic. Of Oposo getting the award, Malcolm Subban's awesome national anthem. It's ironic that a Canadian sings the
2: U.S. The... national anthem.
1: Better than a lot of the people who have tried this this season. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was odd too. I was like, I'm pretty sure because he's PK Subban's brother. So I was like, I'm pretty sure PK is Canadian. So I was, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. But he he knocked it out of the park. Um, it was it was weird for a little bit though because they were getting shut up for most of the game, mm-hmm. and it kind of felt like you know RJ called the Bruins game. It was five nothing, and I was and I, I, that uh, the first game he ever traveled to the, this season, I believe. Yep, and you know being at the game, I was like, are we really? you know the last 120 minutes of RJ's career is he not going to be able to call one goal? <laughs> yeah, I know it's a little that was a tough thought for a little bit there. I was I was get, I was getting a little, you know, bite
0: in the nails towards the end there cuz it was looking a little hairy.
1: Yeah, and of course, um, you know, the hockey gods blessed us with another 5 minutes of RJ going into overtime. Uh it would have been a tough sight though to see Patrick Kane scored the game-winning goal. I feel like that was like the worst outcome that could possibly happen in that moment. I yep.
2: feel like uh, Patrick Kane, in a sense, you know, he's from Buffalo. He grew up as a Sabres fan. You know, as much as he wanted to be RJ's final call, I feel like deep down,
0: I feel like he threw the game.
2: He intentionally <laughs> missed that shot wide. Because how, how many times has Patrick Kane missed a shot like
0: that? You got a point there. You got a point there. I think I think it was more of a culture moment for him than anything.
1: Yeah, the two on one break at the end of the third period with like about two minutes to go. No doubt. About you could it. say it was like
0: the end of Grown Ups when Adam Sandler misses that, you know, the three pointer. Well,
1: if you had Grown Ups on your bingo card for references for this podcast, good, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> did not think that was going to be referenced, but obviously just an emotional moment and a great night for this organization. And how how do we recap this this season as we now go from in season talk to now off season talk? Uh, I would say.
2: Overall, the season was positive. Like, okay, we missed the playoffs by a decent amount of points. We only had 32 wins. So, yeah, there's there's room for improvement. But I think just the camaraderie we saw on the bench. You know, you see coaches talking to the players, the players getting along. Even like you guys said, Subban singing the anthem, they showed the team, and they're all laughing. They're cracking up because they're just that uh, close-knit They're brotherhood team. now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you look back at, the 05-06 Sabres, and all they talk about is how close they were. And that was a team that went to the Eastern Finals, who I will go to my grave saying they would have won a Stanley Cup if that defense wasn't depleted. Oh, you good. can't even sign no, that. No,
1: I I definitely thought some Darcy count was coming coming our way.
2: No, that that was a few years later. Anyway, besides the point, there's a lot of positives here. You see a lot of improvement, like Tage Thompson's breakout season, Donaline showing that he is a top-pairing defenseman. You see that acquiring Tuck and Krebs, they actually are an equal uh, return for Eichel. You just see all these players starting to mesh. They're starting to fill their roles, and they're starting to prove that we can, in fact, play with some of these top teams and compete. And next year, we should be able to compete close to a playoff spot.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm going to give my breakdown here. I'm going to put it in two phases for you guys, all right? Phase one, Eichel's still here. Complaining about his back, getting blown out, you know. And then I would call that the cluster face. phase, all right? Phase two. The sun is rising. It's coming up. It's rising in the east. You know, we're looking good. The sun will shine on us again, quoting Avengers Infinity War. Another, rock, rock another bingo card. Another bingo card for you guys. Don Granado is bringing sunshine to Buffalo through the Sabres. And it is just amazing to see. I can't even get over it. Like, the games, going to the games, we went to the preseason game. They got utterly destroyed. Granted, it's a preseason game, so it's, you know, second liners and all that stuff. Just trying to find a spot for everyone. But, you know, probably what? I'd say 300 people in that audience total. We had the whole 200 section to ourselves pretty much. And uh, end of the season, it was it was absolutely electric. You know,
1: RJ finishes out on a high note. and It's a great way to end the season because after March 1st, they were on an 102-point pace. After the All-Star break, they were on about an 86-point pace. And what's important about... That is the underlying stats back up uh, the team's performance. You know, during the 10-game winning streak, they were getting incredibly luck, a lot of puck luck. Uh, the stats did not back up that success. And down the stretch, they've been playing like an 86-point team, which the stats back up is about middle of the pace, middle of the pack, excuse me, about an average team. And now with power, having a full season of power, hopefully having a full season of Quinn Petrica, plus other adjustments. Not hit Stroza. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, op- there's opportunity for that to continue to grow, so it's just an exciting you know, opportunity for the future. Uh, this is the first time in a while I feel like a very productive season of Buffalo Sabres hockey, and with that, end of season, wartime. Let's start off with the most valuable player on the team. Uh, Joe, let's start with you. Jack Eichel. Well, he was traded for probably two, two, two of the st- best. Yep. Mm-hmm. Alex Tuck, our,
0: our new captain. You know, I, I think he is. He really rallied that team. All jokes aside, Alex Tuck. Oh, I, God. I, <laughs> No, not Jack Eichel. No, uh, Alex Tuck, because he, you know, I know we're not talking about Bills right now or any other team. You need a leader who's not all about himself, and although he wasn't the captain this year, he's still, you know, his woo, those moments and all that, you know, like, you gotta you gotta have that after every game. He had the whole team on his back. Not on his back, but you know, rallying the team, rallying the troops all for one cause and created a brotherhood almost. And he, you know, he, he looks to be at the head of that, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. But my MVP is Tage Thompson. He had an explosion in offense, led the team in goals and points, showed that he could be a legit number one center for this team.
0: What was that stat you brought up? He came into the, the
1: Sabres with... He came into the season with 35 career points. And he got... Well, close They're, to 40. Or he got 40. He got 38 goals. 38 and, goals. And 68 points. Led team in both those categories. Basically doubled. He was the best forward throughout the season, or most consistent. I think Tuck might have had the best impact, but Tuck only played 50 games. Right. And I'm
0: honestly, my MVP was off of more of a morality culture standpoint. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wasn't... Going off of games and points and statistics, definitely Tate Thompson. I would have to agree with that.
1: Well, also, know. Tuck was Tuck was the leader in goals above uh, replacement, which is a good uh, advanced stat. Uh, Thompson was second in that category. So both had incredibly great seasons. Um, and both, I think, are worthy, worthy of being in the MVP discussion. And hopefully those guys are on the Sabres for a very long time. Two very good top six forwards now that Buffalo has. Yeah. Uh, and you know, Thompson showed that he was a top 20 center in the league. And obviously, you know the big question now after that is, is it sustainable? Um, and from the eye test, it looks very sustainable because he has a good shot. He gets those soft areas. I think it's actually he has more chance to improve even if his point total goes down because it's his first year playing center in the National Hockey League. And he's going to learn to play better defensively. And you know, hopefully he improves a little bit in the in the faceoff circle. So I think there's chance for him to improve, even if his point total or his goal production may drop. I think there's chance for him to even become a better hockey player than he is now. Right? Yeah.
2: Well, you know, goals and points aren't aren't everything.
1: Well, as we've talked about with multiple players on this podcast. So. Exactly. Uh, who who do you guys have as the breakout player of the year? I think obviously Tage is probably one on everyone's list, but let's think of a different player than Tage. Uh, Vinny Hinojosa. Another another joking. Person, I assume yes, not not really. Um, hmm.
0: Who what would you I, say? While about? you're thinking, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna shift to, to Dylan Cousins.
2: So, points wise, yeah, he was in like the mid to upper 30s, I believe. So it wasn't an explosion in that, but you saw what he brought to this team. You know, he brought he brings a grit to the game. You know, Sabers need players like that. It's shown with teams recently winning cups and making these runs. They have gritty players, and he shows that he will stand up for his teammates, and he's showing also to be a leader at only 21 years old. I think you saying Tuck could be a captain. I think Cousins has a shot at being captain of this team too mm-hmm. and being a long-term fixture for
0: this team. I would definitely say Akposo for my uh, breakout player for this season, uh, especially you know, 20 goals, career-high in points, just for a Sabres season. I know he's done, he's done better in the past with other teams, but he's really you know, starting to make his mark on this team, I
1: think.
2: No, it's good to see because, you know, giving him a seven-year deal, $6 million per, you want to see him be effective. And he he was effective early on, then he got some injury history, and then he got buried in the lineup. It's good to see him kind of come back and be a breakout.
1: Definitely an interesting choice for breakout, seeing that, you know, he's an established veteran, but definitely a breakout in terms of his Sabres career, for sure. Well, yeah, as I said, you know what I mean? And it, mm-hmm. it just makes sense. For, I
0: know... He's done better, you know, in the past with other teams, but this team is starting to come into
1: its own, and he's really solidifying his spot, I think, breaking out like that for this team. Yeah, I think both options are interesting with the post, like the vet breakout. Cousins, I still think, has another level to go. I think he's an elite transitional player, but he still has a way to go a little bit defensively and offensively. I think if he shores those things up, he can really break out next year. Mine is Matias Samuelson. One of my colder takes of... Hating Matias Samuelson, but I've turned around. You know, before this season, he only played 12 games in the NHL, and for those 12 games, he mostly was paired with Rasmus Stalinen, so his numbers weren't great. This season, you know, playing with Dahlin has opened my eyes of him possibly being a top four defenseman in this team for the next decade plus, and has really changed my opinion of him with his solid defensive play, and adding him breaking out into this kind of defenseman really. Helps the Sabers in the future, I, like how we talked about Tate Thompson breaking out as the number one center. Helps, you know, has a trickle uh, effect down the, you know, with Cousins and Krebs. Samuelson's I think, does the same thing of power and hopefully Ryan Johnson to be signed. So definitely a uh, an impact breakout from a younger player. Who who do you guys have for bounce back player of the year? I obviously have Skinner. I think we all have Skinner.
0: Party in the USA, baby. Yeah, Jeff Skinner mm-hmm.
1: is
2: a pretty obvious. One. I mean,
1: I
0: think he start. I think he's still overpaid. But yeah. he's starting to fill that, what what he originally was intended to do here. I mean, for the
2: fourth time in his career, he put up 63 points. He had yet another on 30 the dot. Goal. Exactly. Four times. Twice with the Carolina, twice with the Sabres. Um, yet again a 30-goal scorer. It just shows that, for some reason, Ralph Kruger just has some vendetta with him to put him on that fourth line.
1: And just bury him on this team. Well, there's one reason why. is because he didn't agree with Ralph Kruger's principles. It's just it's as simple as that.
2: It's just ridiculous that you're paying this guy nine million dollars, and you're just like, you know what, you're fourth liner, and yet you put him back on the top line, and you just see how effective he can be.
1: Well, I think it's kind of like as a poso with the six million dollars. They'll never be him and Skinner will never be worth their contract no. value. No, never become close, but they could still be productive players. And you know, Skinner in that forty goal season where he makes all his money off of shot fifteen percent uh, on shots. The last two years, he shot seven point seven percent and six point three percent. This year, he came back up at twelve point six percent. So he's a very streaky goal scorer. He's uh, always been that he's, way. He's, he's, he's always Carolina. up and down. He's always up and down. But it's good to see him kind of come up. I mean, he had fourteen points in fifty-three games. I, I honestly thought he was kind of washed. He looked washed. I mean, he's a twenty-five. Yeah. He was a twenty-five point player on an eighty-two game pace last year, about there. So for him to have another sixty-point season, a thirty-goal season, uh, is definitely another. Probably gonna be a top six forward, hopefully for a little while, as he's just about to turn thirty this summer. So, mm-hmm. I, a huge bounce back for Skinner for a guy that I thought might have been dead. And what were you gonna do with his cap hit? I mean, yeah,
2: because no one's eaten that cap hit.
1: No, not at all.
2: I guess the only positive with his cap hit would be the Sabers are like very, very um,
1: not close to the cap.
2: Yeah, they're they're at the cap floor. Like they're having problems getting cap. They actually right. need
1: his cap to get the cap floor.
2: Yeah. So they, t- yeah, I couldn't think of it. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're welcome.
1: You're welcome. I, I, I was there for you. So we talked about bounce back. Let's talk about a guy that you know needs to needs to pull the weight n- a little need, better. Needs to hopefully maybe this person's in the award next year with the bounce back. The most disappointing player for you guys this I year. I think
0: you all know my answer right now. I think he's taking up time on the the line for the younger players. You know I think they should be coming up, and uh, he, he he doesn't do too much. You know what I mean? I, I think he's a scumbag. I, I really
1: do. I think he's a bum. What's, I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. You're going to have to say it out loud. <clears throat> Vinny Henestrosa. Vinny, if you're listening, you got to come on
2: and you know, chirp back at Joe here.
0: Come on. Come prove me wrong, Henestrosa. I dare
1: you. I complete, come at me. I completely disagree with you, Joe, because I think he was actually pretty solid this year. The most disappointing player for me. I'd honestly. rather see Jack Quinn. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Well, but...
2: Henestrosa and Quinn are two different players.
0: Yes, they are. They're two different human beings.
2: <laughs> They're two different style <laughs>
0: players. Yes, they are. <laughs> oh
1: <my God. laughs> this comment just went downhill very fast so i'll bring Dreams up off the tracks i'll bring up i'll bring up my guy mine's henry Yokiharyu. i think he had a lot of expectations going into the year as being paired with don on that top pair um and he he fell flat on his face their metrics together were terrible and you know people are talking about how him and power really hit it off as a pair and you know that's agreeable to an extent but really it's mostly power just carrying the weight of yoki haru yeah his back must be hurting yeah i mean in, in ever since power debuted yoki haru still expected goals for on the ice is about 45 percent which was worst among the defensemen on the Sabers. so so you no, could say he's past his prime i don't know he's I, I just think his development got ruined by kruger unfortunately but i think he's a bottom pair guy at best at this point and it just it's it's just incredibly disappointing with the expectation we had coming into the season of him maybe break being one of those breakout players and for him to him to struggle, him to hurt Dalene so much where Dalene's first half was very bad. Hopefully, hopefully they find another partner for power and they don't think Yoki Haru is the answer because I think that would be a mistake.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the only positive with Yoki Haru is that he's still 22 years old, so he still has that time to grow. You know, you usually don't see effective NHL players till they're like mid 20s, so like 25, 26. So he still has time to, to grow. That
0: whole team pretty much has time to grow. It's yeah, cool.
2: there's a lot. You can't, you can't judge this early in his career. I, that's just my personal take.
1: No, Vinny's at the end. For someone, I this think This is it's, his fourth NHL season. At some point, you are who you are. I know. I, I mean, at uh, some John does 20, have a point, yeah. If
2: you're 22 years old playing in a men's league, it's still... That's, I feel that's a little early to yeah, tell but who you but he's played really in the are. men's
1: league for four years. At but some I, point, you. expect But you're not some even in your athletic prime at 22. Yeah, but he's declined, like bad. Like he's was one of the worst defensemen the NHL this year. Yes,
2: but I'm just saying, you like you said, Kruger stunted his development. Look at look at Tage. He had 12 points. Yeah, but Granato was he's the coach the year.
1: Was Kruger the coach this year? Did not Granato was the year. No, the but look how
2: Tage played under Kruger. He was a bottom six. He had 12 points. He was like, okay, he's just going
1: to be a bottom six forward. They they went from Kruger to Granado, and his numbers got worse.
2: I'm just thinking, I'm just, saying. I'm just saying you can't just judge players off of, I know he had a bad season. I know it wasn't good, but he's still young. I think you had to give
1: him time to grow a little bit more. He's 22. He gets another year in my book. After that, time shows some improvement. So very quickly, we will talk about one UFA that we feel needs to stay and one UFA that needs to bug off.
2: All right, so the person I have staying is Pizik. Good right shot defenseman. He's that solid, solid um, like sixth defenseman in my opinion. Veteran guy, he'd be good to have as a mentor. The person that I think can go, so I'm thinking like a Will Butcher because he was kind of just like an extra skater at this point. Colin Miller, they really didn't play much at the end of the season. Like they're kind of just filler spots on this roster.
1: Well, I think Joe and I agree with this that no one needs to stay for the Sabres. I, I I don't think any of the UFA's need to stay. They, I say cut them all. Yep. They can all go. Maybe Hannah Stroza comes back as nope. a 13 nope. forward. Nope. For He's point. gone
0: too. Everyone. The only, clean him
1: out. The only person that I would say could possibly. Send him to the Amherst. The only person that could possibly stay would be Craig Anderson in organizational
0: capacity. I, I agree with that. Craig should be, you know, maybe a, a mentor to incoming goaltenders, but I mean never touched ice
2: as like a player development coach yep. Yep.
0: yeah maybe for Henestroza, maybe he he'd do better as a goalie I don't know because he, he sure he sure isn't doing good
1: right now that's all I'm saying well that fraudulent showing so much Henestroza hate but without being said we will be back with the Buffalonian podcast right after this here at the Buffalonian podcast we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the
0: next level if you are interested, please let us know either by DMing us on Instagram or messaging us on Facebook. You can also follow our Twitter for more Buffalonian updates. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Buffalonian podcast. We are back with some Dom's Rundown, a new segment we introduced last episode. And Until uh, we get some negative feedback, uh, we're going to keep it rolling.
1: Dom, take it away. So, recapping what we talked about last uh, last week on the Rundown, the Bandits lost to the Toronto 10-7. to so they fall to 14-4 in the season, which 14 wins is a franchise record for the Bandits for most wins in the season, which is a pretty cool stat. Uh, the coach, John Tavares, called this a learning experience, said that they needed to play a better full 60-minute game. It's a little concerning that the Bandits started off 7-0 at home, and now they've lost back-to-back home games. So, And they will be at home this Saturday, uh, May 7th, at 7.30 p.m., hosting Albany, uh, who is 9-9 on the year they're... They have a negative 5 goal differential, so they're kind of just uh, an average team at best. Uh, Buffalo did sweep Albany in the regular season. They won in Albany uh, 12-11, and they won in Buffalo against Albany 13-8. So uh, a very winnable game, and it should be an exciting game here in Buffalo. Uh, some, Some playoff sports happening in Buffalo this weekend, and it's the band. So if you want to come out and watch some box across, very exciting. As we talked about last week as well, the Amherst they need a miracle, and guess what? I guess we were in store for a Miracle because the Amherst made the playoffs. Uh the Amherst took care of business to Utica. They won eight to one. Uh JJ Padurka had a hat trick, very good performance on his end. And Toronto, they split with Laval. They won five four in overtime and lost five four in overtime. And then uh they need uh collect at least one point uh to win to take out the Amherst. And they could not do that against Belveril. They lost 5-2 in regulation. So as we talked about last week, if the Amherst won, uh, Toronto needed to have four or more points in their remaining three games to win. to have to make the playoffs, excuse me, and they only collected three. So very exciting for uh, another Buffalo-related sports team to make the playoffs. And uh, Buffalo Sabres' uh, Payton Krebs and Matias Samuelson will be joining them for the AHL playoffs. So along with Quinn and Paterka, it's nice to see some more young guys getting some uh playoff action. Uh Samuelson may not play uh game one. It's Wednesday in Rochester. It's a best of three format. They're playing actually they actually are playing Bellevue. Uh it's a best of three format that starts May fourth in Rochester, then it's back to back in Bellevue. Uh Samuelson may not play because he's uh, a little bothered with a little ankle injury that he t- he uh had from uh the wrist or fade that he blocked from Austin Matthews. So we'll see if he plays but it's also nice to see Krebs who was very good in Rochester as well. Get a chance to play, as we talked about. Uh, Another award news with the uh, Amherst, Jack Quinn won AHL Rookie of the Year. Great season for Jack Quinn. He had 26 goals, 61 points in 45 games. Uh, Got injured uh, with the big club, but still had a very good performance this year. And J.J. Pederka joined Quinn on the all-rookie team in the AHL with 28 goals, 68 points in 70 games. So as we talked about, a little bit of nauseum with the Sabres. There's no doubt those two guys should be given opportunities to start with the Buffalo Sabres uh, next season. So that's very exciting. So done with the recaps from last week, we'll talk about a new topic this week of Buffalo Bisons baseball. They are back. Uh, they did win their division last year, if you guys do not know. The Bisons play a six-game series starting Tuesday to Sunday in Buffalo one week, on the road the next. So this is their six-game series in Buffalo. They are playing uh, the Durham Bulls, who are the Tampa Bay Rays affiliates. Obviously, if you didn't know, the Buffalo Bisons are the Toronto Blue Jays affiliates and two of the top three Blue Jays prospects are in Buffalo this week. Uh, Gabriel Moreno is a catcher and Jordan Groshans is a shortstop. So those are two players if you want to catch a catch a ball game uh, point out they will probably be uh, making an impact with the Blue Jays in the next coming years. Also with you know the Bulls uh, and the Rays organization Josh Lowe is an outfielder and infielder Vidal Bruhard is two of their better prospects as well. So there's definitely a lot of talent with the Bisons in this series. Uh should be an exciting time. The Bisons are actually fourteen and ten. They're off to a good start. They actually had the division lead by a game, trying to repeat as back to back champs. Durham's actually the worst in the division, as we speak, at eight and sixteen, so definitely some winnable games. Um hopefully some good weather, as you know in Western New York, you can never depend on the weather forecast, but hopefully some good weekend baseball and it'll be an opportunity for a lot of great folks to come enjoy the sunshine hopefully and Watch some good baseball. So that concludes Dom's rundown. Uh, talked a little bit ba- about new topic of the Bisons. Obviously, the recap of the bandits and the Amerks. And hopefully next week, uh, we continue to hopefully maybe get some positive feedback and continue to maybe do the segment. But that's enough for me talking. We're going to move on to our next topic right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast,
0: we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are interested, please let us know either by DMing us on Instagram or messaging us on Facebook. You can also follow our Twitter for more Buffalonian updates. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, welcome back
2: to the Buffalonian Podcast. And we're going to move forward with our Bills talk. And like we said before in the intro, this is just pure draft. Draft and more draft. There's just so much to talk about. What do you guys have to say so far?
0: Well, I guess we can officially call ourselves the official podcast of the Super Bowl 57 champions, Buffalo Bills. Uh, Kyle Brand, absolute, absolute firecracker up there. He talked about eating that chicken wing. He got it from New York, too, which was the best part about it. And he flew with it in a plastic bag. He said it was like biting into a warm gummy bear. I can relate to that. I really can. I I think it was absolutely electric. And um, it's nice to see the
1: representation, honestly, I, I think. What would you say, Dom? I thought it was a very fun moment for the organization to have Kyle Brand up there. You hear all the boos he was getting from all the other fan bases? Well, because they just know that what he said was true. It was mm-hmm. going to be accurate. Yeah. He could predict the future, as we've talked about. And now we're the official podcast of the Super Bowl 57 Bowl. champs. Yep. So, draft, 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 as we've discussed. And more draft. more And more draft. Uh, the Bills have received rather positive feedback. A lot of Bs or As. Uh, I would say a lot more B-pluses. I think that would be the consensus average. Mm-hmm. Uh, from most of the people that grade this kind of thing, from ESPN, PFF, and you know, the NFL Network and all that. So what do you guys think of the, the haul that the Bills got overall? Overall themes, you would say.
2: I like it. I think it was um, no reaching for players. I think we were smart when we traded up, and we were smart when we traded back. And we got players that filled, filled holes on this team and just added depth overall.
0: Goodbye, Matt Hawk. The punt god has arrived in Buffalo. Was that your favorite pick? No, it's one of them. I don't think it could have gone better. I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. Brandon Bean, you know, I saw the video of him calling Kyir Elam. Elam wanted the
2: playbook on the plane, and yeah. showed them
1: his
0: notebook. He showed up to the Sabers game the next day. Yeah, like, with Josh, with Josh Dawson, Dawson Knox. Knox, all the guys were there, and it was, you know, nothing but praise from the Sabers fans, the Buffalonians, if you will, and just from there on out, execution is wonderful in my opinion. I, I think it's, I think it was a great draft, fast
1: paced. Amazing fast-paced draft. We've talked about this a lot. Whether they're going to go BPA or need specific, and I think we talked about that in the specialist and pod. That really they went BPA because Elam was their last grade first-round player, mm-hmm. and it was also need. They also needed a corner, so they, it was like the best of both worlds, right? Per se. And I think after that, the Bills, I don't would say went best player available, but they went with the best players to fit certain needs. You know, James Cook, you look at him, he's more of a receiving back. They want some explosion. What did teams do to the Bills' offense last year? They said, we're going to have two high safeties like they did the Chiefs, and you're either going to have to run the ball or you're going to check it down. They checked. They started checking it down at the end of the year to Singletary, but now replace Singletary with James Cook, who was a more athletic running back, more yak potential, as we've talked about. A uh, uh, weakness of this offense was their lack of yak yards after catch. So <clears throat> Beasley. Yeah, I mean, adding him, adding... Uh Bernard is more of a cover linebacker, more of a safety who's undersized but plays linebacker. Kind of like Matt Milano, to be completely honest with you. uh Ariza's, you know, competition for punting. Obviously, they added there's some... no competition.
0: Look at the game where Matt Hawk was booting 10, 15 yarders. I mean, absolutely fraudulent. Should never have gotten rid of Corey Borquez. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was a money negotiating issue. I, th- I
1: think what they wanted was they wanted more consistency, which obviously they did not get. No. And they, they wanted a guy to pin the team, be better at pinning teams inside of the 20. Right. Instead of just bombing punts, which they, realized, which they now realize is not what they want. They want a guy that can bomb punts. It's just going to be interesting with Ariza that he can learn how to hold because he's never done that before in a college game before. And he, obviously, he said he was learning to do it because he knew NFL teams would want him to learn that skill. So. That's what Matt Hawks, you know, the reason why he was on the roster at the end of the year is because Tyler Brass had a chemistry with him, and they didn't want to mess that up. So hopefully Ariza can be a quick learner and how to hold the football correctly for a field goal. Yeah,
0: let's just say we were going for a lot of fourth downs in our own uh, side of the field. So, you know, thanks, Matt Hawk for all you've done. But see you later What again.
2: slander is going to be worse here, Vinny Hinch-Strozer or Matt Hawk?
0: Matt Hock, Really? Could, I could go out there and kick 15 yards. Are you kidding me? Like, come on.
2: Really? Fr- we, he's a fresh should, should we go up to the football field right now and test your legs? I will.
0: I can. I've done it, and I will do it again. And
1: I could have easily walked into that game and kicked it farther than he could have. Give, give us some comments on the pod if you want to see a video of Joe punting a football. And we'll see. We'll see. Uh, where you know if he could do the fifteen. Yeah. Yards. I'm saying Matt Hawk. If you were listening to this right now, come find me. I'll, I'll punt you. Chirp him too. We can get Joe. Pinastroza and Hawk. Joe just going after everyone. On to the actual draft, um, I think it was telling the positions they chose, uh, linebacker, running back, cornerback, punter, all positions that you could have predicted the Bills needed depth at, and they got the depth they needed, and they got quality players with it. I think, really, the Bills now have a philosophy that is predictable, is that they go after hardworking players, high-character players, athletes they go after very athletic players very good scoring uh players and they go after people that are versatile They can play special teams can play multiple positions on the field those four things i think are very predictable if you go into any draft with the bills if the players you're talking about fit those those four boxes it's likely a bill's talk target
2: yeah no i think everybody everybody that we drafted is versatile versatile in some sense like James Cook is a good runner, but he's also that receiver out of the backfield. Like he can, he can run those routes. Like almost even as a slot receiver. At times. Question
0: about James Cook: We play Minnesota, right? Yeah, we do. We yeah. get the nice brother rivalry yeah. in Buffalo. In Buffalo. Wow, look at that! And is Josh Allen, will Josh Allen hurdle a defender? Maybe Harrison Phillips. Watch him hurdle Harrison Phillips. That's my take right now. Wait for that or Minnesota game. He's hurdling Harrison. I'm calling it right now.
2: That would be that would be a side. They put that on a t-shirt.
0: That'd be electric. That'd be absolutely electric. Hurdle number three for Allen, or oh, yeah. four. Which one is it? Lost count this point. Yep, yeah, too many. Too many.
2: Uh, anyway, back to what <laughs> we were saying. You know, uh, Terrell Bernard. So, that 3rd on pick linebacker from Baylor. Um, like we were saying, he's a little bit undersized, but he's more of that pass coverage linebacker. And he shows that he could probably be a very good special teamer as well. And I think just that um, versatility that he could uh, uh, step in for Milano if he were to go down. Even if there's a shot that Edmonds has to miss someplace, he could fill in that. I know he's a little undersized for that role. He, but
1: he cannot play Mike Linebacker. Let's just say that right now. He will never play Mike Linebacker in the NFL level.
2: No, you're probably right. He is undersized for that role. But we look at the undrafted free agents that the Bills have brought in. So I think the biggest one we brought in was Jalen Weidemeyer from a and I think that was a good pickup. I know I'm getting uh, Dominic rolling his eyes at me over here. I'm not
1: saying it's not a good pickup, but there's definitely some bias if you're A&M love. Attached to it. I
2: still think he was worthy of being drafted by a team. I think he can outplay Tommy Sweeney on this
0: team. Sure. Tommy Anyone Sweeney, can outplay yeah. Tommy Sweeney. Another guy that you think you're gonna Oh outplay. my god, are you kidding me? That's a- the list. No, listen, listen. Tommy Sweeney, Dawson Knox literally throws a touchdown with a broken hand. I don't want to hear Tommy Sweeney this, Tommy Sweeney that. Dawson Knox and O. J. Howard. Like that's the duo. You realize you know I don't know if I brought this up before. They're the they're the lucky numbers.
1: Eighty eight and
0: number eight. Eight eighty eight. Done. That's it, that's my tight ends. Right there. Tommy Sweeney, fraudulent scumbag, he's out of here.
1: I, I think I think a underrated draft need would be a tight end three that's a little younger because obviously O. J. Howard's free agent after this year. I think so is I know. So is not so, so is Knox. So definitely having someone other than Sweeney to compete with him for a spot on the roster compete? is Yeah, competition.
0: More like roll over and show his belly.
1: Okay. The thing of with that the reason why he was not drafted is for multiple reasons. One, he showed a bad effort at A&M, and he showed bad work ethic. And the big reason why he did not get drafted is because he absolutely crapped the bed in athletic testing. He scored a 1 in the relative athletic score out of 10. A 1 out of 10. That's like the worst you could possibly do. He ran a 5.0340. That's one of the worst you. 40- That's like, if an O lineman runs that... That's kind of average. Like, come on, I could go faster. Another, yeah, he's
0: running the forty next. Dude, honestly, just put me in up. the combine. Just put me in the combine. I, Let I... us know if you want to see Joe do combine drills.
1: <laughs> Joe do combine drills. Joe punt. Joe ice skate and see if he could. I'll we'll do the do Buffalonian
0: many. combine. We'll see who's who's the most who's the most fit. athletic of the three.
1: Well, that's obviously you. But with w- <laughs> with Wettemeyer, it is still a good pickup because he was a top thirty. Uh, prospect visit with buff with the Bills. So and again, he has I, he has a chance of making legit chance to make the roster because I think Tommy Sweeney's a weak tight end three. So he's a chance. If he could be the guy that he was his freshman year in college and the guy he was his junior against Alabama, then the Bills have a very good steal. If he's yeah, and they not, finally
0: can free up some cap and let Tommy Sweeney walk.
1: Yeah Tommy Sweeney is probably he doesn't even make that much money, but go go off. Go off.
0: Alright, alright. We'll we'll move on from White We'll
2: go on to the other undrafted free agents. We have uh, Trayvon Fuller, a corner from Tulsa. Uh, Raheem Blackshear, running back from Virginia Tech.
1: I'm just going to stop you there. No one on this list is relevant other than Wittemeyer. Well, everyone honestly, knows. Everyone, you could stop right now. No, no. No one needs to know any of these guys' names.
2: Honestly, I could see an Alec Anderson being a dark horse to be a depth guy on this team. Okay, uh, two,
1: two Two people.
2: Uh, and then I think, I believe, um, someone from Buff State. A long snapper had a tryout for rookie minicamp with the Bills, if I'm not mistaken.
0: For those of you who don't know, I do go to Buff State, and I have no knowledge of this. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure of his name, but I'm almost positive I saw that somewhere, that a player from Buff State was a long snapper, was getting a rookie tryout with it, the team. But well, you know what?
0: I don't doubt anything, because Josh Allen played at junior college and fought his way into the NFL, so I feel like anyone could, even at Buff State. You no,
2: know, Fred Jackson was what, Division Two.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, and he was a very effective running back for the Bills.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One of the most effective in the past two decades. Buffaloans, you only you know what and maybe Anderson. Everyone else is just a, they, pers- like, just a person. Everyone's just a person on a spreadsheet at this point. They
2: brought in a lot of wide receivers, I will say that. They know a lot that of camp bodies. They
1: know that they need depth, camp bodies, as you said. So, talking a little undrafted, talking a little bit about the overall draft, let's let's do some specific uh, awards per se of the draft, what – what do you guys think was the best pick the Bills made?
2: So, I'm going to go with um, Areza, the punter. Because I think it it's not like a glaring need, you know, punter. Like, punter is like the most important position. It is pretty glaring team.
0: after For the that. Bills, yeah, it yeah, I think, you know, I 15 think we could have gotten
2: by, you know, getting an undrafted guy or getting some other veteran. But Areza was probably the best punter in college football. He was the
0: third punter off the board, though. Absolutely. Yeah, and and, and ball, we signed him to a rookie contract that's cheap. Like, exactly. we don't have to pay him that so much. So, you
2: have a young kicker in Bass, a young punter in Areza... That could be a tandem for the next decade.
0: Absolutely. And no. you don't
2: even think about it. Like, look at look at Baltimore, how efficient they've been with Justin Tucker and uh, Sam Cook. Although I think they did draft Jordan Stout in the fourth round.
1: They, they were the team that drafted a so, part for the Bills. But
2: that was a model of consistency for a long time.
0: For a decade. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And honestly, my top pick is my favorite one, I should say. James Cook. We needed that power runner. We needed someone. You know what I'm saying? Like...
1: Athletic, running back, yes. receiving back.
0: Yes. Singletary is really starting to, in my opinion, this season I feel like he's going to have a breakout and come into his own. We're going to have two dynamic running backs, that means. Zach Moss, I'm not going to say I can run faster than him because that's not possible. I can't. um I'm not, I'm not going to call him fraudulent or anything in that nature. I He's just, not on the list. He's not on the list. I don't think he'll be here after this season.
1: Or maybe even the, for this season. I have no idea. They might release him. Might cut him. Absolutely. James Cook's a good choice. I would say my best pick that they made was Khalil Shakur, the wide receiver out of Boise State in the fifth round. That's also a good pick. That's very underrated. Trading up for him. He was the guy that they were going to select in the fourth round with the 130, but that they traded up for Elam. I just think that this guy is a potential steal. Everyone thought he was going to go in the third round. To get him in the fifth round is also tremendous value. I think he's a very gadgety player. People have compared him to Debo Samuel, even though people... You know, a poor man's Debo Samuel, per se. He's obviously, I think, going to be a slot receiver in the next level. He runs a great 10 yard split, very athletic in that perspective. And he runs, as they say, some of the best routes in the entire draft. So having another guy that could be probably groomed behind Jamison Crowder and then take over when Crowder leaves, probably after this year, I think, you know, he could have a role in this offense right away. And I think, yak, yak, yak. And I'm going to keep bringing the point home. I mean, they were 28th in yards after catch, so I obviously want to improve that. Josh Allen. You know, said coming into last year, hey, I want to be better at deep ball accuracy. This year he came in and said, I want to be better at be more accurate by letting my receivers be able to catch the ball and run. They're getting people like James Cook, as you said, Shakir, guys that could catch and run. He's gonna be more accurate, Allen. It's just more of an explosion of the offense. Another athlete, another weapon for Josh Allen.
0: And one thing I want to say about Josh Allen, you mentioning that he wanted to get better at the deep ball. I watched some film. I watched that Patriots playoff game. Um you know the Mac Jones throw that Micah Hyde snags out of the air like an absolute god. Like yes. Mac Jones, you see the arc; it's more, it's not like a beamer. It's floating of through the air. those three attempts he had mm-hmm.
2: against us in uh, Buffalo.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he he You know he tosses it high in the air. Where Allen, it's a little lower of an angle in the zip on it. He has more arm strength. It's it that and just placement in general. Like he knows he's got it. He's got it locked. I he, mean, he, he's, there. He, really, is no other. Other than Patrick Mahomes, arguably, you know what I mean. Like the the deep ball is immaculate.
1: Yeah, he definitely. He worked on that, and that's why when he, when he brought up the point that he's trying to work to improve the yak, I I agree. I think he worked really hard on that, and they're adding weapons that you know specialize in that part of the offense. And you know, Ken Ten Gor- Dorsey with his first year probably will incorporate a better screen game in that perspective. So definitely a, and a more so, cute table place. Yeah, definitely something to watch in the Bills' offense. Well um, no,
2: it- I I know just before we move on. You're talking about improving. I know the only knock against Shakir is that he did have uh, some drop issues in college. So, But that's that's just a concentration thing. That's just a coaching thing. That's not overly concerned. But no. that he has those issues, it gives him a good opportunity to learn because you have Jamison Crowder who will start in the slot. Even Isaiah McKenzie could play some slot. You saw what he yeah. did.
0: Oh, he ate up New England that t- December 26th game. It was a great Christmas present from the Bills. You know? But another thing, along with your point with coaching and fixing things, Kair Elam, you know, as we said Friday, the, you know, the one issue with him is not being able to tackle as, you know,
1: his tackling is <laughs> he, he struggles with tackling, yeah, like but his, he, his, he, he does his with great coverage, yeah. So you expect him to also develop, yeah. possibly. What do you guys think was, I hate to say the word, the word worst, but, yeah, what was the worst pick that the Bills made?
2: Um, well... E.J. Manuel. You know, in this draft... <laughs> 'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna look probably just at uh, this is no knock to him. I just don't know much about him, but uh, Luke Tanuda
0: I would have to agree. Like, I don't know I know, I know he
2: has that position, versatility. I think he played both left and right tackle at Virginia Tech, and he started a bunch of games. I know that, but I just don't know much about him. you know, I know he's a work in progress. he's a developmental guy, and he'd be a project and he'd probably be a practice squad guy.
1: I think the problem with that pick, from my perspective, is they made that pick, and Beans like, oh, he's going to be like Wyatt Teller, we think, for him. But Wyatt Teller and Tonell had very different athletic profiles. You know, as I said about the relative athletic score, which is out of 10, Wyatt Teller was an 8.8. Luke Tonell was a 4.72, which is by far the worst on the Bills draft class this year. I mean, Elon was an 8.65. Cook was an 8.76, Bernard was an 8.88, Shakir was an 8.32, Ariza was a 9.49, Benford was an 8.15, and Spectre was a 9.14. So it's it's just kind of weird that they broke the trend with that pick, and he's, he doesn't have the arm length to play tackle, so he's probably going to move inside. I just don't like the pick. I think they could have done more. If, I mean, it's a six-round pick at the end of the day, but seems kind of a waste of picking. As you said about project-based, I mean... We already have kind of a project on the roster in Tommy Doyle. So are those two just competing for just one spot to be the project offensive lineman? I, I don't. Is that really necessary? I don't know. Maybe that's yeah. to push Tommy Doyle. The Tommies
0: no. seem to be the projects. Tommy Sweeney, Tommy Doyle. You, you're out on Tommy Doyle now, too. No, Tommy Doyle. I think has some potential. Tommy Sweeney. He caught a touchdown in the playoffs. I know. Unreal.
2: Just going back to uh, to here. Um, he fits that mold of what the the Bills like to draft an offensive lineman though. That versatility on the line and the size, because he is six foot eight and well over 300 pounds. So he's got the size. I mean, look at Spencer Brown, how big he is. He dwarfs, uh, he makes Josh Allen look small. That's how big Spencer Brown is. So
0: he's got to calm it down a little bit though. He got ejected from a game. You
1: know what I mean? Like- he just got benched for a game because he was, have I just don't like the picks. I, I, I just, I, I just, it's, and at one point, yeah, it's like, okay, he's kind of like Wyatt Teller, he's kind of like Spencer Brown, but both those two players were athletic freaks coming out of college. Yeah. This guy is not athletic.
2: Yeah, like we said, Devon guy, probably practice squad person.
1: He's always going to be kind of, I don't know, this seems kind of like a mid pick to me. In my, but again, it's a six-round pick, I guess yeah. you're bound to do that. Does anyone have like the best value pick that the Bills made? Does anyone think? I, I know you said uh,
2: Shakir, because the fact that he dropped to the fifth round and could be an effective slot receiver for this team... And- even a gadget player type guy. That's just something that is not found in the fifth round. So finding that in the fifth round, I think was a very good value pick.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's hard for me to, I mean, it kind of secures kind of would probably be my both answers. But I actually think looking at it, uh, James Cook was a great it's value. exactly
0: what I was going to say. No running backs went in the first round. Absolutely insane. In, in the way of this,
1: I think it was a slight reach because I think he was a third down, I mean, it's not third down, excuse me, third round running back. But with the 63rd pick right there, I just like the process of they were at 57, they moved down to 60 to get another 6-round pick. They moved from 60 to 63 to get another 6-round pick. They were able to add picks to their war chest so that they made the 6-round picks expendable, where they could go up and trade for Shakir. I just think that was a good move on their end to not pick them at 57, but wait to 63 to have for more players. I mean, obviously they got Benford, they got a Arisa with those picks that they traded for. And they were able to move on their already 6-round picks to move up for Shakir. So I think the overall process of that, plus the value that Cook is going to bring to this, New dimension to this offense, I think, was their best value move of the draft, per se.
2: Yeah, I believe bringing James Cook kind of lessens the blow that uh, JD McKissick could have had with this team because mm-hmm. he was going to be that receiving back that we needed on those uh, third down plays. He has shown in college to be a receiving back, and, you know, uh, McKissick backing out of the Bills deal to go back to Washington. Don't know why. I mean, the mm-hmm. Bills are a Super Bowl contender. Washington's, you know, yeah. not even a they had, really playoff
0: team. Their starting quarterback that was on contract last year was at our first playoff game. Yeah, they got Carson mm-hmm.
2: Wentz and Sam Howell now. Yeah. So
0: Carson Wentz is going to be the next
1: victim of injury at that stadium. That's all I'm saying. Obviously, we talked about the best value move the Bills did during the draft. What do you guys think was their worst value move? I think all of us, honestly, have the same pick in mind. And that pick would be the one and only Terrell Bernard, linebacker, Baylor, Kyle Brand selection, 89th overall in the third round. Um, I just believe that there is better available options for the Bills to choose from, even if you wanted to go linebacker with Tyndale from Georgia or Chanel from Wisconsin. That's who
0: I was going to recommend in in place.
1: Yeah, I just think there is better players than a guy that's probably going to be just a backup player throughout his career, and special teamer, I, I just think there's better options. I
0: think the thing that saves the pick is Kyle Brandt's announcement. I
1: mean, I think that's what makes that pick hype. I'm going to be 100% honest with you. That doesn't but, improve the value of the pick, though. Not at all. Not I, at all. It's but a I day mean, three. It's a, it's a fifth round. That warm gummy
0: bear chicken wing does not do anything. But, I mean,
1: I mean, some people, it is what it is. Some people had him as the 200th ranked prospect, and get give him an 89 is not tremendous value. But, at the end of the day, if that's their only fault, I think that's a pretty good draft. The Buffalo Bills.
0: Right, absolutely. I I completely agree with that. Mike, anything stand out to you?
2: No, I think you guys hit the nail on the head with this one.
0: All right. Well, on that note, we'll be back with the Buffalonian Podcast right after this. Do you enjoy the Combine? Do you enjoy our podcast? Well, look no further because the Buffalonian Combine will be coming to you, presented by the Buffalonian Podcast. Let us know if you'd like to see it. Uh, We'll be creating a YouTube channel to post it for everyone to see free of charge, no pay per view. Um, just, you know, DM us on Instagram, message us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and let us know. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of the show.
2: All right, guys, best time of the show, trivia time. How are we feeling right now?
0: Feeling froggy, m- I'm ready to answer.
2: You ready to go? You're going to finally get one right?
0: Yep. No more 0 for 3s? You can call me Tommy Sweeney. That's how confident I am.
2: Okay, bench player. So, we'll start with number one, Bandits question. Uh, who is the Bandits single season point scoring leader?
1: Dane Smith.
2: It would be Dane
0: Smith. One for one. Okay, good let's start. Say, listen, listen. I don't watch lacrosse. I don't. I you know don't. I I,
1: I, know I, it, yeah. I.
2: I understand that I'm not the biggest uh, Bandits follower, but I, that was kind of a softball. I feel. All right. Question number two. We're gonna do a Sabres question here. Uh, when was the last time the Sabres did not have a first round pick? They have three this year. When was the last time they didn't have one?
0: Two thousand five.
2: That was pretty close, but no.
0: Two thousand
2: six. Ooh, that was even closer, but no. Oh seven. There you go. Yeah. 2007, yeah! when they drafted TJ Brennan with the 31st overall pick, first pick in the second round.
1: Who, who got? Who had their first round pick that year?
2: Uh, I did not do enough research to know. That, so. <laughs> oh, exposing, exposing, exposing the guy. Exposing my trivia over here. And uh, third question, Bill's question: uh, What team did the Bills face in the December 10th, 2017 game named Snovertime?
0: The Carolina Panthers. Indianapolis Colts. It would be oh. the
2: Colts, if you remember. Peterman got hurt, so Joe Webb yes play some quarterback.
0: You're right. And
2: Shady McCoy scampers off for the the game-winning touchdown in overtime.
0: I just bought an iPhone Seven for that game. Watching
2: that game on TV, he didn't even know what was going on. He couldn't see it half the time. No, it was just. I just the remember the
0: blue ride. and white. You know what I mean? And, and I was the thinking had the red jerseys. Yeah. All right, that is going to do it for the Buffalonian podcast. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, as always, we'll be coming at you one week from today. Dom, send us off, buddy. What do you always say? Go Bills,
1: baby. Go Bills.